shed the days like skin Pray for evenings in Hold their hands in the street When you walk them off to school A box too full to shut Cardboard paper cut The bleeding edge of a picture Of your parents when they were cool Welcome to Edu Matters, where education matters. Brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. And now, here are your hosts, Christy Vincent and Brian Brueger. Welcome to Edu Matters, Episode 2 The Collaboration Nation for May 8th, 2012. I am your host, Christy Vincent. Tonight, we are joined by the spectacular Washington refreshed. Brian Brewer, our guest, the Jill Galloway, and the astonishing and sound effect maker, Mark Cockrell. This week, we are collaborating together in so many more ways than one. Collaboration, of course, starts way before, and we will have so much more coming up. So, I'm, I'm being told, my dear friend, Mr. Brian, that... You thought of me. Did you think of me? I thought of you today. <gasps> I had I had a teacher walk into my room, my office today, and she said, we're looking at these Pearson books. And right there at that moment, I almost blurted out, Christy is going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. And I say I almost blurted out. I mean, I literally opened my mouth and went, uh, and caught myself. (laughs) It was the first thing that came to my mind. (laughs) And then she proceeded to tell me how she wanted to, you know, possibly get these Pearson books for next year. And, you know, we talked the technology relevance. But I just, at that point, Everything she was saying was like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was just want, 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 want. And I'm thinking Christy is not going to approve of this. <laughs> I'm glad to know I have found my way into your subconscious. This is fabulous. Oh, it was painful, mind you. <laughs> I have to say that it, it is good to be back. Last week I um, was at a show at the Kennedy Center during podcast recording because... I had the well-planned, well-thought-out, prepared um, school field trip to go on. Didn't you send an email, like, the day before (laughs) that you were leaving? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Basically, what happened is um, Friday at the end of the school day, as in, like, all the students have left end of the school day, um, I got called and said, um, could you possibly go on our seventh grade field trip? that leaves Sunday morning, you'll need to be at the airport at 5.30 a.m., which 5.30 a.m. isn't such of a big deal for me. That's pretty normal time. In fact, I've usually been working for a little while by that time. Um, so the time wasn't such a big deal. That time on a Sunday morning, yeah, that's a big deal. That time on a Sunday morning when you know that there's going to be 47th graders there, that's a really big deal. Um, but I'll say this. As a former teacher, I love experiences like this. We had a great time because it reminds me of why I do education. You get to have all the fun with the kids, um, you know, see them outside of the classroom. They get to see you outside of the school. Um, it was a really good time. So I have one student story to tell you. 
So we're eating lunch one day and a student comes back from the bathroom, male student. He walks up to our chaperone table at the, you know, at the restaurant and says, Hey guys, you'll never guess what. And like, we have no idea what, what's going on. He goes, I just got complimented in the bathroom. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Because at that point, the two, the, myself and the other male chaperone, who's <laughs> a teacher, the two of us looked at each other and it was, it was done. We were like, you know, fourth graders instantly. We could not contain ourselves. We were laughing so hard. And he just looked at us and he's like, you guys thought I was immature. What's going on? And we're just sitting there going, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, you know, he walks away and we're still laughing. We just, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't hold it in. <laughs> and he looks over and he goes, well, I'll have you know, I got two compliments. <laughs> and we just yelled, make it stop, make it stop, please. <laughs> So I found out after the trip, somebody said that he was a gentleman because he opened the door for somebody else and, and, you know, it was, it was all good, but I couldn't, I just couldn't contain myself. It was like, as a child again, which of course never happens to me, but, um, it was a, it was a classic one liner from the trip. Sometimes the inner Beavis and Butthead comes out and there's just nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. It would be a part of this show any longer. <laughs> It was it was just perfect. Now, if you, Christy, if you would like to have a a quick story from the from the female's perspective, we told our students <clears throat> when we went into the hotel rooms that you know they all have our cell phone numbers and everything like that. And I will tell you this: having cell phones on on a trip like this is priceless. I don't know what we did before we had cell phones because literally everybody had to be in groups of two. Everybody had cell phones. We had ours. It was instantaneous to get a hold of them, whether it be text messaging or just call them or whatever. So we told the students, you know, they weren't allowed to use the hotel phones and the hotel wasn't allowed to come to their rooms and all that kind of good stuff. So we told them that they could call us for emergencies and emergencies at night equated to one of the following four things, excessive blood, vomit, death, or severe bodily injury that requires 911. You know, those types of things. So those are what we defined as an emergency. Don't call us unless it's one of those. So about 2 a.m., one of our female chaperones, one of the teachers, gets a phone call from one of the girls' rooms. And she's, you know, what's going on? She's, I need help. We're like, you know, what's happening or whatever. I'm out of dental floss at 2 a.m at 2 a.m i'm out of dental floss call the front flipping desk kid here's my philosophy at that point child beating is officially permitted (laughs) (laughs) it just i couldn't believe it i was like that i'm glad that wasn't me not that the guys would have cared about dental floss at all let alone at 2 a.m but um that was the emergency call of the of the trip (laughs) <laughs> I would prefer to have the bathroom stories myself. So I have one one quick story that I'd like to throw in here. And it's one of those that uh, reminded me why we do this show. I was uh, on the phone today with uh, one of my best uh, 
technology uh, integrator teachers at my school, the ones who, uh, who, is, who is the example that we hold up to all the others. And she called me about a student who was having an issue with uh, a, a user account, couldn't log in, something to that effect. I don't remember what it was. And so while I was in the process of uh, searching for his credentials in the database to see what the issue was, I heard her say to a student, you know, with the phone in her hand, she said, uh, no, Billy, I don't know if his name was Billy, but that's what I'll say it was. <laughs> no, Billy, you have Microsoft Word open. This is a Microsoft PowerPoint lesson. The entire point of this lesson is to use Microsoft PowerPoint. You need to open PowerPoint. And, and I died a little inside. Because when that is the lesson, <laughs> the lesson is not how to present an idea. The lesson is not... Um, how to use all available technologies. No, the lesson is how to create a PowerPoint slide. It hurt me. It hurt me deeply. I'm mourning with you, Mark. My, my, my little heart is breaking. I, I agree. I think that slowly, I mean, like this trip that we went on to Washington, D.C., we're, we're actually having the students create a wiki. And the wiki started off as a shell frame, and the students are creating everything as as a way to you know describe their experiences and reflect on things and and all that kind of stuff but i think maybe it's because it's easier we tend to give them those close-ended you know close-ended uh lesson ideas you know we want you to use this and to do this and to complete this rather than just giving that huge project-based concept I'm so excited that you're excited about project-based learning, Brian, because that's exactly what our guest is here to talk about tonight. The fabulous Jill Galloway joining us from Northeast Texas, where she is an instructional technology coordinator, a Google certified teacher, a member of ISTE's Council on Digital Citizenship, and a project-based learning guru. So for those who may be unaware, because it's such an elite group of you that are Google certified teachers, Jill, what does that mean to be a Google certified teacher? Well, um, to be a Google certified teacher, basically you um, apply to attend the Google Teacher Academy, which they offer it, um, you know, a couple times a year, just every so often at different locations out it used to be around the country, but it's actually now around the world. Um, the most recent one was in the UK. And they choose 50 applicants to attend. And basically, it is a whirlwind day of all things Google. And it, it was just amazing. Um, we get to learn about all of the Google tools. We get to talk to Google um, gurus, if you will, and kind of learn about all the different ways we can use it in education. So it was actually... Um, a very fun experience. So that's how you become a Google certified teacher. And you said it's around the world. Where did you do yours? Well, I did mine in Washington, D.C., but they have since offered um, G GC or GTAs, Google Teacher Academies, in, well, like I said, the U.K. Um, they did one in Sydney, Australia last year, which um, I really wish I could have gone to that one. I actually was in Australia, um, but I missed it by about a month. But, um, yeah, they, you know, they're branching out, really going global. <laughs> that is awesome. Washington, D.C. seems to be our congregation point of the night, apparently. So you're also a, a project-based learning guru. So I guess it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing. 
which came first? Was it the, the Google Certified Trainer or being PBL? I mean, are these, is this something that like works together or are we talking two totally different things here? Well, they um, are two totally different things, but they totally kind of mesh. In fact, um, I actually was into project-based learning first to answer your question. Um, I helped open up a school that did, did an entirely PBL, and they were a new tech school, if you're familiar with the new tech network. Um, are you familiar with the new tech network? Yes, we are. Okay, well, it was a new tech school. So basically, they employ project-based learning throughout their schools. And um, every year, they have an annual conference. And one year, um, it was, uh, we learned all about Google Apps for Education because new tech kind of went Google Apps across their whole network. And that's kind of how I learned about it and also where I learned about the Google Teacher Academy. But, um, you know, Google Apps for Education kind of lends itself to PBL very well because they're both kind of built on the idea of collaboration. So it's um, there's some great tools to have in your back pocket when you're um, employing PBL. And I think that um, I don't want to, to bring down PBL because I'm a huge proponent myself. I think that it's kind of become such a buzzword in education, though. It's kind of losing its pizzazz or its real meaning, kind of the whole idea of Montessori. Like, people do Montessori, and it's so far removed from what it was originally intentioned. What is authentic, real, true project-based learning? What does that look like? Well, um, basically, you're letting, giving kids the opportunity to solve problems. So um, it's providing a real problem, a real scenario to students, uh, and then they work together collaboratively on their own terms to solve this problem. And obviously, when I say on their own terms, they're driving their learning. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, I do get a lot of um, comments about, you know, well, they still need, you know, what's the role of the teacher in this PPL business? You know, how does that work? But um, they're still there to facilitate and kind of guide the students as they go down that discovery. But basically, it's providing a context. I think that's the big part of it. It provides that real context. So, you know, I'm a former math teacher, and I heard all of the time, you know, when are we going to use this? When are we ever going to use this? Well, you don't hear that in PBL because they already know that's part of the um, the context, part of the scenario that you're providing to them. So. And, and some of the, the pushback that I get from that, is the whole, well, I can't do project-based learning. I have to meet all these standards. I, I don't have time for that because the curriculum we've bought says that I have to do this on this day or this is my script or, or whatever. So how do you in encourage teachers to bring in the whole idea of project-based learning when they're faced with those constraints? Well, that's a great question because that's that, that is some of the pushback I hear as well. But, um, and I think it has to do with the misconceptions of what a project is, and it goes back to, you know, even when I was in school, typically a project was something that they gave students at the end to demonstrate what they know. And so, you know, if you're looking at it as an add-on, well, certainly you might not feel you have the time to do this, but if you just need to change your perspective because it's not something that demonstrates what you learn, 
it's a process you go through as you learn. So if you're just looking at it as an add-on, I can see where that's a concern. But if you really revolutionize how you're teaching, then time just, that's no longer an issue. Now, how does technology or what role does technology play in that project-based learning? Well, project or t technology is the vehicle that provides them the tools to actually learn the content. Um, today's kids are very, you know, they don't, we were, let me kind of backtrack a little bit. You know, when we wanted information, we went to a person. We sought out a, an expert, um, our teachers. That, that's just what we were conditioned to do. But um, kids nowadays, they don't need that. They know where to go to find their information. And technology is an essential part of that. Technology is what connects them to that information that they need to solve their problems. So I think technology is an integral part of it. I don't think it should focus just on the technology. I think it should be there to provide them the tools they need to solve their problems. Now, do you think that to do project-based learning well, that every student needs a device? Do, the, do we have to do some type of one-on-one -on -one or one-to-one or -one program? Or is it possible to do this, you know, with, shall we say, you know, lesser technology um, budgets? Sure. Um, actually, well, ideally, I think that it's important to um, provide a one-to-one -one environment for students. I just, that's just something I'm passionate about. I think they need that personal device that they can call their own. Um, but... Is it possible to do PBL without it? Absolutely. I, one of our schools in our district is actually doing just that. Um, this year in our district, we opened up a new middle school, and it is focused on environmental issues. It's a net zero school, so it produces as much energy as it consumes through solar panels and wind turbines, primarily solar panels. Um, but it also, they do rainwater harvesting and, you know, they have a lot of green initiatives on the campus and they also do project-based learning. Well, so um, in my district, we've been one-to-one -one for 10 years at the high school level, but at middle school, not so much. So we're about two-to-one and we're doing um, PBL at that school and the kids are just thriving. I, I, I have to to train wreck this just for a moment and say, is it possible to harvest specific students and their energy levels as a part of that uh, net zero school initiative? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> it'll sure only be a matter of time before one of the kids um, solves the problem to make that happen. But hey, if anyone can get first, I'm sure we could all go into business together. <laughs> Mark just wrote a comment, uh, really large hamster wheels. <laughs> <laughs> the school without ADD. <laughs> I am all for it. We are naturally carrying ADD. Stress levels are just plummeted. <laughs> Obesity gone. <laughs> this is a good day. <laughs> All right. So you have to forgive Brian. He's our, our resident um, tech nerd that we allow on the show. And Mark, well, he's just staying silent tonight, as fabulous as that is. So, but you're not to be left out of the great tech world by any stretch of the imagination. You're actually the instructional technology coordinator. I am. I, well, 
Uh, we have three coordinators in my district. We're a pretty good-sized district, and I primarily work with middle schools. So, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And what is it that you do every day? What's your, what's your general day look like? If we strapped a webcam to you and followed you around, where would you take us? Um, well, I cannot answer that because every day is different. Um, I never really know what time I'm going to get off work. Um, I can sometimes gauge it. But um, I never know where I'm going to be. I do have an office <laughs> in a building, and I try to be there as much as I can. But um, I, at the same time, I like to get out on campuses. I really miss working directly with kids. So I try to get out and see what's going on in the classroom as much as possible. So there is no typical day. I'm sorry, but I cannot provide a good answer to that. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a mean question, I guess. I'm, I'm an instructional tech, so I totally get what you feel. Today we were doing our not standardized testing, but our um, technology apps test. We don't just do eighth grade. We do fourth and sixth so that we can kind of gauge where they are and see where they've grown and, you know, pull all that lovely historical data in all of our spare time. And then some days I'm teaching and other days I'm, you know, with the tech guys and we're installing stuff and it just, it really depends. Tomorrow I'm curriculum mapping. So it's a different, different thing every day, but that keeps us on our toes and keeps us busy. So we are kind of those, for me anyway, it was the, oh, well, she's that teacher that's also really good at the tech. And then the two bridged and merged and, you know, welcome to instructional technology. But I tell people all the time, I'm not sure that this is going to be the job I retire from. I don't know that, that this is what I'll be, quote unquote, when I finally leave the field. Where do you see this, this field? Because I hear from teachers all the time, you know, especially in budget cuts. Well, what is it that you do? What's your job? Why are we cutting teachers and you're still here? And, you know, across the state, entire departments were cut where, where we are. And, you know, fortunately, we're both still employed and, and work in this department. But what is it that we bring to the education forefront? And how is that changing for, say, the next five or ten years? Great question. Because um, as long as I've been in instructional technology, I've seen my role already start to change. Um, instead of focusing on tools, 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 you know, what's the new tool that's out there? It's not really about that anymore. It's more about instruction and how can I help teachers provide quality instruction. And technology definitely is a part of that. But um, is it sacrilegious to say I'm not so sure um, where this department will be in five to ten years. I mean, is there a need for an instructional technology department or isn't or will, you know, curriculum and instruction departments just kind of, will they all merge together? I mean, seriously, we, we are talking about this um, in so many different venues right now, the merging roles of all of these different kind of stakeholders in the educational process. So I find that I'm focusing less and less on specific technology tools and more on the process of learning, you know, as a whole, I guess. Does that, does that answer your question? It's kind of hard to predict the future. I mean, it changes so fast. It's changed so much in two years even. So really hard to say. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really hard to say. And I tell people often that my entire job is dependent on the fact that I can translate. I can talk teacher and I can talk tech and I can bridge the world to talk between them. <laughs> but um, I tell them too that I'm, my, my entire goal 
is to put myself out of a job. And they say, well, what's your job? My, my job is to, to not be here. That, that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't think I make progress every single day sometimes. But ideally, if, you know, I feel like if I do my job, then we'll have teachers who are using technology without thinking about it. You know, just like they go in and turn on a light switch when they walk in the classroom or pick up a pencil, that they'll be using technology the same way. And we're very far removed from that. Um, much more than I'm comfortable with, but, and that's where we are. I just, I want to move us in a direction where it's all just synonymous. But when we get to that point, you know, when we get to the point where everything's BYOT and everybody has their device and life is fabulous, well, that's five, 10, 15 or more years down the road, there's new technology. So I think our advantage is that we stay on the, the curve. We stay on the edge. So the teachers don't have to be those early adopters and we kind of cushion the blow for them a little bit, you know? Would would you say that's accurate? I I would because I mean, kids don't need a teacher to lead them through certain ta- these you know tasks anymore. They just need to guide them through learning. And technology for teachers is something new or something separate. That's just how I see a lot of people kind of viewing it, but for kids, it's just that that's the world they were born into. It's a natural part of their life. So I like what you said. Your goal is to not be here because we already have self-sufficient kids, and I know we're working to help build self-sufficient teachers as well, and eventually there won't be a need for us um, because everybody will have caught up. We're... We're in a very interesting part, an interesting time in education, I feel, that it's about to change. I mean, we're already, it's already changing. I see we're on on the verge of this huge revolution, but it's really starting to catch on. And I think once it does, education is never going to look the same again. I mean, it's, I mean, it's looked the same for hundreds of years. I mean, one person lectures to a group of people. I mean, think of the Greek philosophers. I mean, that's, it's just been like that for many years and it's about to change and I don't see how we could ever go back to that learning model once it does. I think so you're it's saying it's a, go ahead, Brian. As I, say, I think it's interesting just thinking about the, the old model that is, you know, tools based, you know, as you say, versus where you, we would like to go to where we're considering how the instruction is being delivered less than or more than the tools that we're using to do so. And I'm wondering if that change, if we even can start doing more of that now, if that would keep teachers from feeling overwhelmed, like we're always just trying to add something to their plate. I think that it would. Um, At TCA last year, I presented two, um, you know, half day workshops where basically we, kind of gave teachers a framework on how to do it. And one of the participants had a very interesting comment. And, you know, she said, you know, we come here and it's tools, tools, tools. That's what's thrown at us. That's all we ever hear. But nobody ever really tells us how to implement them in our classroom. And um, while, you know, as a, somebody in instructional technology who kind of recognized that change early on, I think that also you know, I attribute that to my experience with project-based learning. 
But, um, I, you know, we kind of saw that ahead of time, but it was very refreshing to see that teachers are seeing that now and they want that. They feel overwhelmed with schools and they just want, I mean, so I agree with you. I think if we break it up and quit throwing resources at them instead of, instead focus more on the skills like collaboration, communication, the things, you know, creativity, the, the skills we want our kids to have then maybe teachers wouldn't be so overwhelmed. And that's a great point. I've never really thought of that before. Don't, don't give him too much credit, Jill. It really affects his ego in future shows, and it can just get really bad. Just really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you did talk about, um, you know, you went back to where we were talking about PBL and all and how that, that has changed. So for, for other educators that, you know, they, they have to stay on – top of something you have to change we can't treat our students like aristotle did his so how has things like pbl and becoming a google certified teacher how did that change your teaching practice well um i'll tell you what changed it for me is definitely pbl and not only just seeing it used but helping build a school from the ground up that where we all together kind of rethought our philosophy on learning, and it forever changed me. I will never go teach in a traditional classroom again if I ever go back into the classroom. Um, I am a huge proponent of providing engaging experiences. I mean, traditional teaching is just not what today's kids need. So it how did it change my teaching? Well, honestly, there's nothing I would do the same if I went back into a classroom. Nothing. I would start all over. And that's what all of our teachers did when they opened up the school. They basically took what they knew about instruction and threw it out the window. And it was interesting because we had a couple of rookie teachers on our staff, and they, they did not struggle near as much. They, it was actually easier for them. Um, than the veteran teachers because the veterans had to kind of re, you know, relearn a whole new, new style of instruction. But it's so right. worth it, and it was, it was hard. Um, teachers wanted to quit every day. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy at all, especially if you um, have taught in a traditional classroom. But it is worth it. And I know I, I, I taught, I'm so passionate about it, and some people look at me like I'm crazy. But if you step into one of these schools and you see it, you will be changed. It's a great thing. Now, on the flip side of that, we consider students who go out into the workforce now, and I just recently hired a part-time tech to work in, in our tech office, and, you know, he just does not have the ability to take a large scale problem and say here's the issue that we're dealing with go and without having that ability to take you know a large project and break it down into here are some basic steps um here are some larger you know more global steps that i could take and you know ultimately get it down into what do i need to do today in order to solve that problem it it's extremely difficult to make it in the workforce. Whereas I anticipate if I hired one of your students um, as a part-time tech, I could say, here's the problem. And they would say, 
oh, I'm familiar with this process and, and go. And even if they're not familiar with the process, it doesn't, they don't get a beat. And I think that's the difference. They don't need that direction. They are self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. They're resourceful. Mm -hmm. They know where to find the information. And, you know, isn't that unfortunate that we didn't get those kinds of experiences when we were younger? I certainly wish that I would have had experience, you know, learning how to work together on a team, learning how to take a big task and break it down into little ones because that's not – that, I mean, that's just not the kind of experiences we weren't, we didn't get those experiences. And that's what PBL does provide for kids today. So they don't get, um, you know, they, they know how to handle those things. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why I believe this model was even created and how the new tech network kind of, you know, came to be is because the business people in the community kind of just came to the schools and were saying, look, yes, these kids might understand the content, but they're not, they don't have the skills that they need to be successful when they come to me and work for my company, just like, just like you said. Yeah. My question is this then, a little bit of a devil's advocate here. We didn't get this type of learning as we went through school. I think that's a fair, you know, agreement or starting point. So my question is, is how did we learn this? And can we assume if we did learn it, that our students will also learn it if we don't teach it to them in, in school right now? So why is that different? You know, if we say no, they're not going to learn it as we learned it after the fact, what's different between our schooling and their schooling um, that makes it so they're not going to pick this up on their own? Well, um, I think that where did we learn it? Well, we picked it up on our own along the way. Um, can kids do that when they graduate school and learn it after the fact? I'm sure they could. But if we can go ahead and teach it to them now so they can actually make mistakes and grow at such an early age, imagine the impact it's going to be when they do graduate. I mean, yes, I did learn it on my own. but where would I be today if I started 10, 15 years earlier? Um, you know, and that's one of the, in terms of technology, for instance, um, it really kind of broadened my view of what kids should be able to, you know, the kind of freedoms they have with technology. But um, we, in giving them freedom gives them a chance to make a mistake. And I'd rather them learn from the mistakes now when they're in school, when they can learn and adapt, than when they get into the workforce and get fired, make a mistake that gets them fired. I mean, we might as well teach them early on so they can actually build and become even better communicators when they, you know, are our age. I can't wait till this generation grows up. Let's see. Let's see. What are you shaking your head about? <laughs> I see Brian. Once he starts getting up on the mic, he's about to ask you a question that I want edited out later. Here we is go. It, Here we go. Is it okay. safe to say that those people who are successful now as adults were able to pick it up on their own? And those who are not successful, because I'm not going to keep this politically correct, those who are just are flat out not successful 
were not able to pick it up on their own? Well, I think that really depends on how you define success. Um, you know, I can I hate to generalize, but um, I do probably feel like it probably does contribute um, in one way or another to your success or lack thereof. But um, I don't think it. I don't think yeah. it's going. It can make or break someone. But I think that it's important that we try at least try to instill these skills in our kids. Sure. And, and the I, kids we're teaching, Brian, aren't going into the workforce we did. I mean, we're still in a workforce that's true. highly dependent on mm -hmm. what is on this piece of paper. And this piece of paper had better say that you went to college and that you have done this and you have done that. Mm -hmm. And that is all that whole factory model that we went to school with and that we're trying to change. And higher ed doesn't get off the hook here. I mean, they're just another part of K-12 that had this exact same thing going on with them. So what, what Jill's giving these kids and other educators like her is this thing that's for their workforce. They don't give a flying flip what letters are behind your name. They want to know, can you create? Can you innovate? Can you be this adaptable person that's going to take our organization to the next level? And I, I think that's the difference, Brian. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's just I'm trying to to correlate because you know think about our parents and even our teachers in the school system now it is easy for us to say we should do school like we had school because look at us we are successful you know in air quotes so i i can see i see both sides of it but how do we convince our parents and our you know, teachers who maybe are reluctant to get on board with that type of a project thing and 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 get up to speed with it. How do we show them the differences in what the workforce needs? And I understand that, you know, there's no shame in being, um, you know, working at McDonald's unless you're working perhaps at the front counter for your entire life. Um, it's okay to be a manager or things like that, but that's where the project-based types of skills probably are going to make you or or not make you as the case may be for some some of our our graduates so it's a matter of you know when i'm saying successful i'm saying somebody who's making it beyond those entry-level jobs for their lifetime not you know saying that if you're in technology then you're successful and if you're in you know restaurant business you're not that's not true but if you're if you're bussing tables at 45 years old i think it's safe to say that that's not as successful as the person who's managing that same restaurant well and those those types of jobs are typically um you know mechanical they don't require a lot of um, inference it's you know task-based type of things and so can not and not providing those kinds of experiences and learning experiences that teach them how to be self-sufficient and how to move beyond those task-based skills um yeah i do think that's doing them a disservice and i think it definitely could contribute to a lack of success if that's how you want to define success absolutely sure Brian, just a minute. Not everything's linear. It doesn't have to go in your predestined order. Teaching is an art. 
We are artists. We are curating the future. There's our tagline for tonight, Mark. We are curating the future. Leave Picasso alone. She's telling other curators how to be magnificent, wonderful people. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too much longer, Jill. So ignoring Brian and going on with the rest of the world, if one wanted to become a Google certified teacher and share that prestige that you have, how would one go about that? Well, um, basically keep your eyes peeled on the Twitterverse and, um, or you can a website. It is uh, google.com slash educators slash gta.html. That is the Google for Educators website. And actually, that is where they post anytime the application window is open or planning to be open soon. So um, just, you know, kind of keep your eyes peeled because they just open it for a short window of time. The turnaround time is pretty quick. Um, you know, once you once you see, and you have to prepare a video, so it's not you know it's not a simple thing. So keep your eyes peeled. You can read all about um, what it takes, the application process, and everything online, so you can be prepared when that application round opens. Now, do you tweet that when you find out about it? Sure, absolutely. I always do, so I will definitely tweet it out when they open the next round. And where I mean, can you I, be found I on Twitter? I'm sorry? Where can you be found on Twitter? Um, A Jill Galloway is my handle. And I pretty much stick with that across the board. So I picked a good one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody else has taken it. Or at least one that nobody else wants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you understand. Say, that I can thank my mom group. for calling me by my middle name. But, but Thanks, Mom. We place, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jill. You gave us a lot to think about. And, um, of course, we always appreciate Brian looking at it from the other side because that is what we deal with in the real life. You know, we, we hear from both sides what works, what doesn't, and here are all the reasons why you're doing is wrong. No matter what side we're on, we always hear that. So thank you very, very much for being with us tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, you have a good night. Um, for my tip this week, um, I, I want to brag on my school a little bit and I don't typically name my school or anything like that because it, it's just something that I've tried to kind of create some type of a separation, but over the last two to three weeks, our school has taken three trips. Now we're a K through eight school and in the middle school, they take different trips in each grade level. In sixth grade, they go to Sea Camp, which is a uh, trip down to the Florida Keys. And it's a great trip. I've been on it before. Fabulous. In seventh grade, they go to Washington, D.C. for four days, and which obviously we've talked about um, tonight. And then in eighth grade, they go for a couple weeks to Israel. So our trip from Israel just got back and I just want to brag that all three trips this year for the first time in my tenure at the school. And I've been trying for a while. We got all three trips to tweet while they were on their trip. And we got so many parents who would come up either to me, even though I wasn't on the trip and say, thank you for getting them to do this. Um, 
my dad who lives in Michigan and doesn't have anybody on the trips was following our school's trips um, via text messaging on Twitter. And it was just a really cool reaction to see something that takes no real time investment because you're just making a short little text about what you're doing. It takes no financial investment to do, but is such great PR for your existing families as well as, um, you know, new families coming in or anything like that. It's just a really great way to promote your school and the positive, fun educational experiences that are going on. So my tech tip is tweet a field trip. Don't ask, just do it. So let your parents know, you know, you can follow these tweets, you know, from this location. And, you know, we put together a quick little thing. You can go to this website and you can watch it there. You, this is how you can subscribe if you want to, you know, get them in text messaging, which is how most of our parents did it. But it's just a great opportunity. Give it a shot. See how successful it is. And then, you know, worry about the should we or should we have not have done this, you know, till after the fact. But it's easier it was, to beg for forgiveness than ask permission. <laughs> Every and single time. It is easier, I agree, but I don't know that it's always right. Oh, but take this your is, cat pad off and have a fun for a while. <laughs> this is one where I, I, it was just so nice to, to see that positive reaction. And it was something that was easy for us to do, but made such a great impact. I highly recommend tweet your field trip. What got my school on the Twitter bandwagon was when I started tweeting football scores every Friday night, you know, and we are in Texas, the Mecca of all things football. So uh, uh, parents were like, hey, I like this and, and, you know, I can get it on my phone and, and I can and, and that was really sort of the hook that got them. And once they start following, well, they're always there. So you can always get those school closures, the announcements, the rain delay, you know, whatever. They've always got it. So it's a great hook. I mean, we'll, we'll have the debate later of, you know, the place athletics play in academics, but it, it's a fabulous hook, especially in the great state of Texas. Sure. We know you don't, you don't get it, Brian. It's okay. Y'all play like volleyball or something out there. I don't know. Yes, we actually play beach volleyball. We get the whole school dressed up in bikinis and, um, um, and. And you're lying. (laughs) You're just totally lying at this point. And whatever those things are that guys wear that are very skimpy. And uh, Brian, I want to go on record as saying, I do not want to see you in a bikini. Not now, not ever. (laughs) I was actually going with man thong, but I decided okay. I'd try to <laughs> little banana hammock. I must pull this show back together. So while we're on our <laughs> the look on Christy's face right there was totally worth that comment. <laughs> while we're on our seafaring adventure, Brian and I did not previously discuss this. I knew he was going to have the whole great tweet of field trip tip for you tonight. But as a a shout out to my colleague, my teacher tip is to be a pirate. And I mean that to to be go to bat for your kids. Because all too often we get stuck in the world of this is what we have to do. This is what we have to get through. And these are the constraints that we have to have. So I, I challenge you to ask why. And when you get an answer you don't like, it's okay to say, why not? Why can't we do it this way? Show me what's wrong with this. Go to bat for your kid. And be a pirate. If you'd like to contact us, 
Um, there are a few ways, of course. Elementop.com. We've got the Twitter. You can find us on the Twitter at, at Bruger or at Christy Vincent. And, of course, Facebook.com slash Elementop. I do have a question about the contact us section, Mark. All right. With the name change, what is the impact of our contact? Because, of course, we had twitter.com slash element opie. When you go to twitter.com slash element opie, the uh, list that used to say Tightwad Teacher now says Edumatters. Same same people, just new names. Okay. Okay. So, um, and of course, uh, we'll be updating, you know, Facebook pages and all that kind of stuff. So for right now, uh, stick to the Element OP links at Facebook.com or at Twitter. That will kind of get you in touch with all of the other shows as well as this fine podcast here. And our guest next week will be the amazing, glitterified male kindergarten teacher, Max Gomez. So what do you say? Should we call it a night? I think we should call it a night, matey. A night it has been called. Good day to all. To all a good night.